Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain, hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, Cover Villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as Cover Villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Hey everyone, welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. In this episode, I'm talking with writer Crystal Frazier and artist Val Wise for the new comic Cheer Up, available through Oni Press. This is a comic I read a little while ago, and I was immediately drawn in with the true-to-life characters and immersive story, and we talk all about the process from concept to finished product. We look at the characters of Annie and Bibi and how their friendship changes over the course of the story. And for this episode, we are talking about a comic that caught my attention kind of out of the blue, but definitely hooked me right in. This is a Cheer Up, Love, and Pom Poms, available through Oni Press. And joining me now, writer uh, Crystal Frazier and artist Val Wise on the line. Crystal, Val, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hi, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you for having us. You're very welcome. There's so much to unpack with this title. There's a lot to it with the story and the characters, and that's what I want to start with because that's what really kind of caught me and drew me in was the incredible depth of the characters and not just the main characters, Annie and Bibi, but really everyone else too. It's a very, I think, like well-rounded-out cast where everyone has a role to play. But my question to you is, how did you go about creating the characters and how long a process was this? The original sort of fleshing out the characters process was fairly short. I I basically came up with the idea of of Bibi and Annie and the parents and then handed that over to Val and I said, oh, also we need a cheerleading team. So, you know, give me seven or eight teenage girls and... And Val turned around this amazing cast who they had so much personality just in the first sketch that it was easy to sort of write and give each one a distinct voice. We were really lucky, I think, um, just because Crystal was writing the script as I was doing concept work. Um, so we were kind of able to work back and forth in that way, uh, which I think like made the characters a lot stronger because it was kind of a almost like a, not almost, like, yes, like a collaboration of, like, creating these people, where we just, we both kind of, like, you know, had input uh, how they looked and, like, their personalities, and, like, they were able to develop more naturally as people that way, I feel like. They definitely felt very, very natural, like, just uh, reading the dialogue especially. So I'm a little curious, did you base them on people that, that you know in life? I mean, a little bit. There's a, a, several of my friends back in high school were cheerleaders. And because I went to the, the sort of nerdy school for my district, they were, you know, nerdy cheerleaders. So they were very academic. They weren't super focused on looks. So unlike, unlike the stereotype, they were a bunch of cheerleaders who were kind of laid back and nerdy and fun and had these varied, wonderful personalities. And I, I honestly think that's probably the case at most high schools these days. Wait, so it's not like all the movies? Is that, is that what you're telling me? I don't think <laughs> so. I mean, you know what? I only went to the one high school, so I can't say for sure. <laughs> My entire worldview is shattered now. What do I do? What do I but do? I, I, think, I think cheerleaders might be human. <gasps> It's, <laughs> it's possible. It's actually possible. You never know. Um, Unlike lacrosse players. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they know what they did. Out for blood. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> going to get so many angry letters with oh, sticks and nets. <laughs> 
No, what's going to happen is I'm going to get like a knock on my door one day, and there'll be a whole lacrosse team outside just being like, we heard what you said on your show, Bowen. It wasn't me. It was Crystal. <laughs> I'm going to get oddly, si- oddly shaped welts. <laughs> well, let's avoid... I'm realizing you don't actually <laughs> know how lacrosse works. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> possible it's possible but why don't we move on to the story in this one so so in this title annie is a smart antisocial lesbian starting her senior year of high school who's under pressure to uh, join the cheerleading squad to basically make friends so and and also so that she go on to college because obviously what you do for clubs and so forth that always like rounds out the process her former friend bb is also part of that cheer squad she is a very uh, people pleaser a trans girl who has to keep her, her uh, parents happy with her grades in order to maintain their support of her transition. More on that later. One thing that I want to ask about is like also the world of the world that this story takes place in. Did you have to spend like a lot of time like world building this thing? Actually, no. Um, <laughs> so this is, this is very strange. I went to Oni and said, you know, I want to write, you know, this sort of all-American teen book with a trans cheerleader and her cis friend, and they're they're on the same team, and they fall in love. And they said, oh, cool, do you have an artist? And I said, no, do you, do you have any spares? And they're like, well, we've been eyeing this awesome artist, Val Weiss. We'd love to do a project with him. How do you feel about, you know, us introducing you and see if you two click? And and we clicked, and it also turned out we both grew up within about 10, 15 miles of each other <laughs> on Gulf, the Gulf Coast of Florida. So all of a sudden, this, this nebulous story that was sort of floating around, I guess, middle America somewhere, suddenly became a story set very specific, or very specifically in the Tampa-St. Pete area of Florida, and from there, we both just kind of drew on our childhoods growing up. Uh, the the ice cream stand where we have a couple of scenes in this book is an actual local chain called Twisty Treat. And their their shops are all giant ice cream cones. Hmm. <laughs> There's definitely a couple of uh, locations in the story that are specifically based on places like where I grew up, like the high school um kind of resembles Clearwater High-ish in a way, like the, like the having the outdoor lockers and everything like that. Uh, and there's a specific panel um, that has like the Publix down the street from where I grew up. <laughs> uh, so I was definitely able to use a lot of uh, direct reference uh, for this book. That makes it easy. Cause like, I know the artists sometimes have problems with like a certain like design or a certain like object that is just for whatever reason, like tough to draw. So Val, question to you, um, was this a very like new kind of title for you to work on? Uh, this was the first <laughs> title I worked on. Um, it's not true. Done... You've got a bunch of personal projects that are amazing. That is, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I did, I've done like a couple, I did a couple of anthologies um, before I did Cheer Up. Um, like I, I can't remember if Rolled and Told was before, I think Rolled and Told was after, but I had done like a tabula item. Um, I done dates, uh, but like this was the first like long form comic title uh, that I had had done. Um, like I, I got the offer from Oni, I think, in my last month of school. Um, so that was a that was a very hectic <laughs> month of my life. Um, wow. A long time ago now. <laughs> Wow, wow. So 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 like fresh out of school and you're right into this huge project. Yeah, I was no. very, very lucky. Very cool. What would you say was uh the biggest challenge for you, especially where the where, uh, where this was kind of your first project of this kind? Um, I would say timing. Um I was pretty much left to like make my own schedule, uh, and I realized pretty quickly that I don't work well when I'm in charge of how long things take. Um, so it was, it was like kind of like how maintaining that level of discipline, um, to be able to like get things done in a succinct amount of time. Um, since doing cheer up, I've worked on another book where like my deadlines were set for me. Uh, and that was a much easier process because, you know, there's more pressure to get things done. 
Um, so I would, I would say time management was like the biggest hurdle, but I also, you know, learned a lot working on Cheer Up about, you know, the best ways for me to get things done and uh, the time that things actually take to create. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What would you say was the best, uh, the best tool or the best technique to sort of keep you like on deadline? Um, the, the best thing I picked up um, was using my thumbnails as roughs uh, for my pages. Uh, just like making sure everything was laid out in the way that I wanted in the thumbnail. It doesn't have to like look great. It just kind of has to be in the right position. And then I can just sketch on top of that. Uh, so it kind of takes out a small step uh, that is a kind of labor intensive step, like roughing things out and like making layouts takes a long time like you wouldn't think so because like roughs don't look great <laughs> but it, it does take a lot of brain power. page <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> now did you have to um like learn anything new to to do this like kind of art i mean i, I imagine like your projects probably like range in styles i did cheer up all in photoshop um and it was kind of just it was kind of the way that i've been making comics for school um but i uh, previously mostly done traditional work. Um, so I, I had to learn how to do digital work efficiently. Uh, I had experience with digital art, but I definitely wasn't as fast with it as I was with traditional art. Uh, so it was just learning like different ways to be efficient in a program that I was kind of familiar with, but wasn't like as natural to me as doing pen and ink. Okay. Um, I want to also ask about like this being your first time working together. Um, how do you know that that uh, that like a team like this can work? Uh, I think part of it is I'm just kind of a kind of a domineering bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. But I mean, I think it's just the fact that we communicated pretty clearly from the get go, and and. There was a lot of like, you're great. No, you're great. No, you're great. And, <laughs> and, you know, we collaborated and worked off each other really easily. Like it never, it never felt like Val was forcing me to change the story to, to accommodate what he wanted to draw. And it never, I, I hope it didn't feel like I was making Val draw terrible. Well, I did make you draw a scene with bleachers full of fans. So I guess I did do at least one <laughs> awful thing to you. <laughs> I remember when you you asked me about uh, doing all the crowd scenes, and I said that I liked drawing crowd scenes, which is, it's true. <laughs> I don't like drawing bleachers, but I do like drawing crowds. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, I, good to know I have, future books. <laughs> I have been told that like drawing crowds are like the banes of of, 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 of like some artist's existence. Like they say, draw draw a crowd of say a thousand people. It's like great. I'll just spend a month on that. Thanks. <laughs> well, you really like only have to draw like a couple of like fully fleshed out people, and the rest can kind of be implied. <laughs> I did see that actually. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. Um, are there other things you did to kind of deal with the more like challenging art scenes, ways that kind of that like allowed you to do that without spending like untold weeks and months on it? A lot of just like implication and drawing, like yeah. not drawing like the entire thing, just drawing enough so that when like people are, you know, skimming over a page, no one's going to be looking at a panel for as long as I'm looking at it. So as long as like they can read it and like get across what I'm trying to portray, then, you know, I think that that's, that's good enough for me um, for most panels, like for obviously for splash pages and stuff like that, that's not necessarily going to fly, but you know, for smaller pages or smaller panels, I think that that works well enough. Mm -hmm. I, I do love the little, microscopic versions of Annie and BB for when you put them in the background <laughs> of a page and it's just like the general shape and a smiley face. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can tell that's Annie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, it's you know, like you said, they're not going to be taking like a microscope to it. So no big deal. It works. One thing that I thought exactly. you did really well was sort of like, was like how the characters would convey emotions with either their like body movements or their facial expressions. 
A lot of that was actually uh, in the script, too. Um, I was very lucky with Crystal's script that, like, just reading it, I was kind of able to see exactly, like, what I wanted to draw. And, you know, you're not always that lucky as an artist <laughs> to get something uh, that you're immediately just like, oh, I know how to translate this. This is, like, very, like, visually clear, even just in words. Um, so that was that was uh, definitely... Um, a lot of Crystal's effort too. Like a lot of those gestures and emotions and stuff like were written out. Val's giving me way too much credit because mostly I would just say like, Annie <laughs> is sad here. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask actually that cause, cause I was, cause I was curious, like do writers usually give like a very like step-by-step -step breakdown for the scene or is it more of a general you know, characters sad, characters angry, and they kind of let the artist just go with it and sort of fill in the blanks. It'll vary from artist to artist. Sometimes I, I give way too much detail. I think, like, uh, there's there's one nervous tick that BB has where she like tugs on her hair when she's nervous, and that I specifically wrote into the script. But a lot of the physical acting, you know, I would just kind of describe what's going on, like who's in the scene and how they feel. And then, you know, Val would turn that into these really beautiful, subtle facial expressions and gestures and just this, like, gorgeous body language. Oh, <laughs> thank you. In, in my experience, it, it varies from writer to writer. I've been lucky to work with a lot of really good writers. Um, but it, it, it definitely depends who's writing, how easy something is to visualize. Like, Cheer Up, I think, is definitely the easiest script I've had to work with in terms of just like being able to like see something, like see the words on a page and be like, okay, I know exactly like what I want to draw here. So I was, I was very lucky to have that as the first long form script to work with. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Crystal, um, as we mentioned earlier, this is set in like the high school age range, but I'm curious as to why that particular time period, why not when they're younger, older, it's that age where you're figuring everything out for the first time and trying to go from, you know, being the kid where your parents made every decision for you to being an adult who lives for themselves and, and decides their own way in life. So I, I think that's probably why a lot of writers, you know, really focus in on that high school age range. Um, B's character she seems to deal with a truckload of stress, whether it is from, you know, classmates, her parents who are, I gotta say the description protective, like an FBI raid spot on because <laughs> they are like, like, like the, like the one scene where they're like dragging BB away from the ice cream stand because God forbid you should actually go out, go out with your friend, you know, saying like home is safe. School is safe. Like, okay, you guys are a little, are a little intense, but, what was the purpose in making them so, so like overprotective of? So they needed to be fairly accepting of BB for the story to really take place for BB to be out. But I didn't want them to be, you know, perfect parents because Annie already has a perfect parent and too many perfect parents just feels weird. And it takes away from a lot of the conflict. And a lot of the story is BB learning to stand up for herself. So having parents who are overbearing felt like, an important plot point. So I went with very overprotective and kind of passive aggressive. Like they, they know this is what's best for BB, but that doesn't mean they're happy about it or necessarily comfortable with it yet. When the father says to Annie, you know, stay away from my daughter, the scene after is they're all like, wait, what did he just say? That they're all just kind of surprised by like those specific words because from what I'm guessing here, what I'm seeing, it, it, it seems like BB uh, transitioned just a short time ago, maybe a year or so ago. Yeah, I think roughly six months before the story, end of the previous school year okay. was I think what we had gone with. Okay. Yeah. So so this is all very new for all of them. It's it's new for her. It's like new for her her parents. It's new for the school too. So it, it definitely seemed like the parents are really. I think especially the dad was very much still struggling to come to terms with what had happened. Yeah, and BB's, we don't really call it out very much in the story, but BB's half Cuban, her father, her father's first generation, no, second generation. His father, or his mother and father came over from the island. So, you know, 
she's got like a lot of Florida teenagers. She's got Florida or Cuban background. And, you know, he struggles with some of that machismo that, you know, can kind of complicate parent relationships where he wants his, you know, who he thought at the time was his son to be, you know, a certain vision of manliness. And now he's got to get used to this idea that this is my daughter now. And, you know, everything that I'd wanted for this child is completely different and, you know, adapting, but it's slow. Mm -hmm. I I really like that Phoebe's parents, like they're not like bad parents and they're not like (laughs) great parents either. Like they kind of fall into this place that like, most parents of trans kids fall into um, where, you know, they're not great at handling stuff and they're not, you know, putting their kid out in the street. And like, obviously those two extremes like do exist and do, you know, happen. Um, But you can definitely see like where her parents are coming from in some sense, Um, because like, yeah, like things are going to be really scary for her. Um, You can kind of see like why her parents would be overprotective, even if, you know, they're not necessarily handling this in the correct way or the way that's best for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that there's like not a lot of portrayals of like the parents of like trans children that are kind of in that middle space between those two extremes of like full acceptance and full rejection. Yeah. I, I remember those, those like one part of the story where uh, BB tells, tells Annie that her parents threatened to like make her basically go back to like, to um, addressing like a boy they kind of view this as almost like a luxury, but like as long as it doesn't, it doesn't like affect your grades, you know, you can keep doing this. It's like this is not like a this is not like a, pl- a PlayStation dad. This is, yeah. but it's it's not something they necessarily understand firsthand like yeah. that for them. Yeah, for them, they're worried that this is going to to impact her whole future. It's going to impact getting into college and BB almost becomes like sort of like a minor celebrity at the school. Like um, she makes like the media where, uh, where she joins like the cheer team and kind of like sets sort of, sort of, a, sort of a, a record or a precedent where she becomes the first trans student to join the team. So she almost becomes this kind of like minor celebrity, which I can tell she absolutely hates and with a seething passion. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of, uh... One of the things when you're when you're transgender, you don't really get to just be invisible or neutral most of the time. So if you're out somewhere, then, you know, there are people who want to be your friend because you're trans or there are people who don't like you because you're trans. And there are people who are like, I I want to do, you know, this news story on you, not because of anything you've done, but because you're trans and doing the thing. Yeah, just existing is making a statement anything you do is making a statement sometimes that's good because you're visible and other trans people see that you can survive and endure and you know lead a life that makes you halfway happy but sometimes it's also incredibly stressful because you know you're always that archetype you're always the you're always the trans person not just the person who is trans Mm -hmm. yeah i yeah yeah, I, Sometimes I, you just want to go to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to live your life. You can't, but yeah. you can't because Sometimes, you're always under that lens. Well, I, I mean, I was trans in high school, so oh, just a lot of the the bits and pieces were were pulled. You know, not directly from my life, but it was enough interpretation, and you know, trans people talk. So I've got a bunch of other stories from other people's transitions or their teenage years or their own experiences oh yeah i did run the script by a couple of my friends who were also trans just to get like second reads and make sure i wasn't doing anything you know because i've only got my own perspective i wanted to make sure i wasn't doing anything offensive what was their uh, response to it when they when they checked it out (laughs) uh most of them were really happy with it they They weren't used to a script that was written, you know, kind of from the trans perspective where you talk about a lot of the little nuances of being transgender. So the like the scene in BB's bedroom where she's talking about, you know, she feels like she has to be, you know, on all the time because everybody's always watching her. So if she gets angry or she's mean or anything like that, then she's not just a person being imperfect. She's just 
then she's, you know, the mean trans woman <laughs> or the weird trans woman or, you know, any of that. I want to also look at Annie's character because uh, I loved her character, like the badass with kind of like a heart of gold, honestly. Um, like doesn't give, doesn't give a crap what like anyone thinks about her. When it came to like crafting her character, what did you see as her role in the story overall? Annie's role very much is to be like both be a teacher and to be a student. The The whole point of the book is making how you make friends and how being friends with other people helps you make up for your own shortcomings and learn to be a a more complete human being. So Annie starts out, you know, being standoffish and being a jerk to everybody. You know, sometimes it's warranted, sometimes it's not. And BB starts out being a complete doormat. And as they get to know each other, BB learns how to be a little more assertive about her boundaries. And Annie learns how to be, you know, more open and caring with people she cares about. So is the story about like really like both their journeys or is it meant to be a little more focus on on like one over the other? Uh, meant to be more of both their journeys, but we start out really heavily on Annie in the beginning and then more heavily on BB at the end. How close is the final story to what you like originally wrote for this? The original outline was for about twice as many pages. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a lot that got trimmed down, uh, especially with BB and her father's relationship and some more scenes with Annie and her mother and talking about, you know, more of how how Annie kind of got to be more isolated and standoffish and there were there there was a lot more development on the team and their individual personalities. Val, I am uh, bet you're glad it wasn't twice the length, right? <laughs> I, I enjoy drawing it. Um, I've seen the biggest criticism I've seen from people is that it's too short. Same. Um, <laughs> so somebody, so somebody give it a three star review because I loved it, but it should have been longer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was kind of the right length, but I didn't feel like any of it was too rushed or too like thrown together. So how did you know that you had a story length that worked out for you? Um, I mean, part of it was, you know, Oni gave us what they wanted the page count to be. Oh. And <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, had to go through and decide what the, the major plot points that I wanted to hit would be. And uh, actually involved a lot of talking with Val and, you know, how much how much he thought was a good workload to take on. And that kind of gave me an idea of how many big crowd scenes or full page, uh, full page pages that we could get away with. And then just had to start thinking in terms of, well, I want to hit these like eight plot points and I've got... 120 pages to do it and that breaks down to about 400 panels so i had to start thinking like how much panel space does each plot point get and sometimes i have to throw out plot points and originally it was going to be 100 pages so i had to go back to oni and be like what if we did 120 <laughs> because then we could do more smooching <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah uh you mentioned like the number of panels and i know that this one only had i think one or two of like the large like splash pages um is that something that you sort of like avoid using aside from like the really big scenes Uh, i mean they're a lot of fun uh they're probably a lot more fun for val than they are for me but (laughs) i i like them because they're kind of like a an exclamation point in the story uh we've got one thing I was nervous about uh, writing the book is we have two full page panels almost back to back at the very end of the book, but they're both kind of the punctuation point on each each of the girls' stories. Yeah, one of them involves a guy that I gotta say is probably one of the most despicable comic characters I've ever come across, <laughs> which is saying a lot, actually. Jonah Marshall. Wow. That's all I can say is, wow. Reading this a few times... Yeah. You get such a look into his character and just what a scumbag. What an absolute oh, yeah. scumbag. He's he's based on an ex of mine. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he was not a not a great guy. 
Yeah, I definitely mean, they, met a couple of Jonah Marshalls in my time. Yeah, just pushy, doesn't really listen to the person when when they say, "I don't want to do this thing." I definitely mean, sees the girl he's going after as some kind of trophy or notch in his belt, yeah, rather than. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing that scene in the end, and I won't spoil that, folks. Got to read it to check it out. But seeing the scene at the end with him, I was like, yes, yes. Um, I, I think we did our jobs well, Val. We succeeded in making everybody hate Jonah. <laughs> making a hateable boy. Yes. He was super hateable. Science said it couldn't be done. <laughs> they have created the hateable boy. <laughs> okay yeah okay that's gonna be that's gonna be the title for the next book cheer up to the hateable boy <laughs> there you go there you go why is jonah there though what does he sort of bring to the table in terms of the story jonah is there kind of as a a force bb won't deal with on her own uh he is I mean, there's a couple of things. It's also, you know, this very common experience for trans women to come out and then have like a very creepy breed of boy take an interest in you because they think you're going to be, you know, easier to boss around. And, you know, uh, one of the lines he uses, you put or you're you're prettier than the other girls. You put in an effort. There's a lot of this assumption that trans women will lean harder into girly stereotypes and, you know, be more submissive. So, you know, it felt kind of important to the story to show that BB has to deal with that kind of guy as part of the trans experience. And another part was just, you know, he's a great example of BB will not stand up for herself, even in a situation that's that gross and uncomfortable. And she spends most of the book, you know, needing other people to stand up for her. Yeah. And it's also like, oh, go, go ahead. No, no, please. I was going to say, like, it's like the most difficult situation to stand up for yourself in. And the fact that, like, that's the situation that she has, like, the most dramatic, like, you know, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> yeah. Jonah is just, like, a good embodiment of... Uh, BB's. I'm trying to figure out a way to say like her doormatness, <laughs> her like inability to stand up for herself. Like, yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's not submissiveness exactly. Yeah. Her desire to not make a fuss. Yeah, her like her fear of like confrontation. Uh, yeah, her just desire to to be friends with everyone. She doesn't have that like confrontational ability that obviously Annie has in Spades. And she does get, yeah, we, we do show her getting better and better at yeah. leveling up her confrontation abilities the, as the, <laughs> as things the final go boss. Yeah. Until she, yeah, until she beats the final boss. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Crystal, um, when you uh, pitched this to Oni, what was their response to it? They were very excited. Uh, they'd been talking internally that they wanted to do like a, transgender young adult graphic novel for a while and the fact that this also had a very sweet sapphic relationship in it i guess was just icing on the cake so when i went to them and and was like you know i have this idea for a comic and it's got girls smooching and they're they're cheerleaders the title is queer leaders they're like that's amazing we might change the title to make it more marketable <laughs> <laughs> Although going with uh, that title, you get a very clear indication as to what the story is going to entail. Right? I thought it sold the book itself, but... Hey, you know, yeah, uh, but... <laughs> I, I think there's something to be said for, like, you know, clarity in the story. Clarity in the title. It, uh, <laughs> it definitely tells you what's in the tin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I saw that, that this is rated for ages, like, 13 through, through 16, but what do you think it has for folks who are, like, outside the age range? Um, I'd say it's especially impactful for like trans adults uh, who either were out in high school or who didn't, you know, who weren't out in high school. I wasn't out in high school. Uh, so I, I would say that that demographic, absolutely. Because um, I, I found a lot of, uh, of joy in this perspective um, that I didn't have. 
Yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing, uh, but yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say like in general, it is there, there's definitely antagonism. There's definitely conflict, but it is very much an aggressively positive book. Uh, one of my goals when this book was so much queer media is very dire and and goes into a lot of the horrible things about being gay or transgender or bi. And we need that. It's really important. But you can burn out on that really hard. Yeah. It can really, really drag you down. So I, I really wanted to do a book that was just light and happy and things work out for people and it's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not necessarily the the deepest storytelling in the world, but it's, you know, a story that's happy and uplifting and at its core about how we, we can help each other be better human beings. I like that. Also, it's got freaking amazing art. If you're interested in comics <laughs> at all, like Val is basically teaching a master cra- or a master class <laughs> in visual storytelling in just 120 pages. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What for you was new about uh, working on Cheer Up? There was a lot of you know being vulnerable on the page and and sharing that with an artist is incredibly nerve wracking. So I mean. Every every author puts something of themselves on the page, but a lot of what went into this story were my own insecurities or my own, like, a lot of BB and Annie's relationship is built on my relationship with my wife because, you know, we have a similar dynamic of one of us is kind of you know, aggressive and fearless and the other one, you know, wants people to be happy. And, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, my personal damage just all over the page and handing that off to an artist is, you know, very vulnerable learning to, to trust an artist with that. I was very lucky that Val is, you know, incredibly empathic and, you know, insightful. <laughs> okay. Then, so then which one of you punched the, uh, the gator once, because I know that Annie, <laughs> the Anne does that, which one was that uh, you crystal or your wife? <laughs> that, that was me. Well done. Well done. <laughs> My wife is from Oklahoma. They don't have alligators there. (laughs) (laughs) No, they do not. (laughs) A couple more questions. I want to ask about uh, Auntie Jen, because she is listed in uh, the dedication that her love saved a thousand children. Um, Who is Auntie Jen? So in the queer community, your auntie is sort of the the first person who takes you in once you come out. Uh, They sort of, you know, make sure you're safe and they introduce you to other members of the community. They help introduce you to other resources. They listen to all of your, your baby queer emotional damage. Uh, and Jen, uh, Jennifer Lynn did that for, you know, hundreds of trans kids throughout the the nineties and the aughts. She ran a, a mailing list specifically for trans teenagers, uh, maintained a website with a bunch of information and links and, you know, just basically helped this community of damaged trans kids find each other and, you know, find family. Uh, And, you know, she was kind of a guide. She would give you information on how to transition. She would give you like, she was the person, first person I ever met who was like, it's okay to be transgender, but it's also okay to be not sure. Um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, she would, she was kind of a parent figure and, uh, she unfortunately passed away last year, uh, due to COVID and probably, probably, like I said, in the dedication, saved a thousand trans kids lives, taught us to be decent human beings. And yeah, I wish I could do more for her, but I also haven't seen haven't seen her for years, you know. By the time she had passed, I'm sorry, I really Thank am. You. But i I think you're I think you're doing a lot of good too. I think this book is going to help a lot of uh, people out. I think that there's a lot to learn 
one thing that really that really stuck with me is BB's struggle to tell people, you know, stop trying to tell me what I want. That seemed to be a pretty big, <laughs> uh, pretty central theme, I think, because like they're all trying to. I mean, good naturedly, they you know they're they're in in a lot of cases the hearts are in the right place, but they never say, "Well, BB, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? How should we handle this with you?" I, I guess I want to know is, is did either of you deal with that kind of thing growing up? Or did you know someone who, who constantly had their story told for them, basically? I mean, I definitely had issues with that. I, I, I love my parents very much. They were very controlling. <laughs> so. I didn't, yeah, I didn't come out until I was an adult uh, and living away from my parents. Um, but there definitely is like, like we live like in, you know, an age where people know some stuff about trans folks, but not everything. Obviously you can't know everything about anyone. Um, so they'll have like an idea of like who you are that may not necessarily align with what you want. Cause like every person is different. Every trans person is different. Um, so I, I definitely, you know, had times where different people in my life would assume something that I wanted just because of the fact that I was trans, which may not have necessarily been like what I wanted to do, whether it had to be like with presentation or surgery or something like that. It's like every trans person is different. Everyone, every, everyone wants to, you know, express their gender and like, just express themselves in a different way. Okay. Well, Crystal talked about her auntie Jen. Did you have one too? Uh, I did not. I was very lucky um, that by the time I was, you know, I had a weird high school experience. I spent two years in Baptist school and then went to community college when I was 16. Uh, and when I when I went to community college, like I made a group of friends and like that was kind of the first time that I met like trans people who were my age. Uh, so I was lucky to um, be with people who were my own age, who like were trans and I, even though I didn't know that I was, uh, just to be able to see people kind of like, oh, I maybe I could do that too. Like having that kind of impression. Um, it's like seeing someone else do it first. <laughs> um, I've always been that kind of person. I've, I've been afraid to to take risks <laughs> if, I, if I don't necessarily know how it's going to play out. Uh, so just having, having friends who are trans. I wish I was as sensible as you, Val. <laughs> Could have I saved myself I, a lot of lumps. <laughs> I wish I took more risks, though. So. <laughs> we make a good team. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. um, Crystal, you uh, mentioned this earlier, and I wanted to uh, talk a little more about this. You mentioned how, like, in some uh, transgender comics, there's it's it can be very dark, it can be, like, very dire. Um, I'd like to ask about just the presence of like transgender characters in comics. How has this changed in recent years? Is it more than what it once was? Uh, it's it's definitely more than it once was. We had, I don't know what you'd call it, this sort of this moment in the sun in the '90s where you saw some very minor transgender characters introduced in the the big two, uh, Jesse. Uh, Jesse Drake in Marvel and uh, 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 oh, I'm blanking on her name. Rachel Pollock wrote her Pollock wrote her for uh, Doom Patrol, uh, and I am Coagula. Uh, and then and then suddenly, you know, those characters went away, and we pretended trans people never existed in comics. And so it's nice to see that sort of coming back again. You've got Dreamer over at DC. Uh, Marvel Comics has introduced um, Dr. Charlene McGowan in the Immortal Hulk comics. So, you know, you're seeing transgender characters appear again. And and more of us, even if we're very minor supporting characters. But I I think it's movement in the in the right direction. I hope it is. But I was I was going to say, I know there's a lot more independent comics right now with transgender characters and themes. So that's that's lovely to see, even if the big two never quite catch on. Yeah, I, I have to agree, because I feel like with companies like um, 
uh, comicsology, especially that are giving a lot of indie writers a chance to like do their own thing, basically. Like they make the pitch, comicsology says yes, and they do it. I feel like the like the digital age that that we have now, where you have platforms like that, uh, Webtoon, Tapas, there's more opportunity for people to kind of do their mm-hmm. own story as opposed to just saying, okay, well, if DC and Marvel don't want it, that's it. It just doesn't happen, basically. That is really nice. I I discovered, well, I discovered classic Donald Duck cartoon or comic books and manga both in high school and i'm like why was i denied this vast breadth of comic storytelling potential (laughs) up until this point so (laughs) i still remain like an ardent fan of i mean i i love superhero books i i grew up on superhero books i have a giant ninja turtles collection at home that rivals my father's clock collection (laughs) uh but i i am a huge fan of using comics to tell just every other kind of story too what do you hope and this question is for the both of you uh what do you hope people take away from reading cheer up oh i mean i really hope it just makes them feel a little better about themselves. But I mean, I hope, I hope it gives them, you know, this view, this very multifaceted view of being a girl. And I hope it gives them the idea that relationships between girls can be imperfect and still be good things. And I guess from a wider perspective, I hope it helps people understand that friendships can be imperfect and still be good things that help you grow as a person. And that parents can be imperfect and still grow as people. Parents are people, right? (laughs) Uh, I hope that, like, trans kids, especially reading it, um, can, can see that, like, you can feel all of these kind of, like, complicated feelings about being trans and, you know, still be happy, still have a fulfilling life. Like... I, I feel like there, when you come out, it's kind of difficult to admit the hardships of being trans because it's kind of like, well, this is this thing that I wanted and it's supposed to be perfect. And like, I'm supposed to like always feel like great about it all the time. Um, even if like externally, it's really difficult. Um, just seeing that you can have complicated feelings and, you yeah. know, still be trans, like, and still be still be happy with being trans yeah i guess the the theme of the book is things can be imperfect and still make you happy and be okay (laughs) i like that i really do (laughs) all right so what is next for the two of you uh future projects things you're currently working on right now just throw it all out there (laughs) uh well we haven't signed an nda yet so i guess technically we can we can say we're pitching a sequel to cheer up <laughs> uh wow they haven't accepted an outline yet so i i don't you know fingers crossed yeah no seriously because <laughs> uh, yeah I... Odie really likes the book they they want more from these characters i'm so, very excited about yeah. the ideas that you have for the second book <laughs> oh, thank you i'm really excited about your input yeah <laughs> um <laughs> And and we've been brainstorming a horror comic that Oni had been really interested in in putting together until they saw the the pre-orders for Cheer Up, and then we're like, we need you to pitch a sequel. That's <laughs> like on second thought, do this thing instead. Yes, it's like we want to do this really gross, you know, ominous Southern Gothic inspired horror comic. And they're like, wow, that sounds really good. And then they're like, no, wait, more adorable adventures with teenagers. <laughs> Why can't we have both? We're working on that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I I hope Valky wants to keep working together with me for a very long time because I, I can keep him as busy as he wants to be. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I yeah. want to do this horror comic so yes. bad. <laughs> <laughs> with lots and lots of crowd scenes, too. Oh, so yes, absolutely. Every, every scene takes place in the cafeteria or the, uh, let's go with auditorium. <laughs> no, Val's like, huh, can I rethink this? <laughs> cafeteria is better than bleachers. I will do a cafeteria. 
<laughs> all no cafeteria scenes. scenes. All cafeteria yeah. scenes. <laughs> all right. How do you feel about bookshelves filled with sentient severed heads? <laughs> That's I not bleachers. <laughs> it's really important to know where like someone's like line in the sand is. It's yeah. always key. Bleachers. <laughs> we got that for a vow. Bleachers. No go. Um all right. Well, folks, we are coming to a close, and I want to sincerely thank Crystal and Val for joining me. It's been so cool to dive into the world of Cheer Up. And again, loving the comic. And folks, if you want to get your copy, you, uh, you go to onipress.com, you search for Cheer Up, get it that way, or you go to your local comic shop. If they don't have it, request it, because they can order that. They have that power. Thank you so much for having us on. Oh, you're very Thank welcome. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Uh, but where do folks go to like learn more about you, to check out your work? What's what's the best place for that? Uh, I've got a basic no frills website at thecrystalfraser.com. Uh, and you can find me a lot more regularly on my Twitter at Amazon Chic, C-H-I-Q-U-E. Uh, I'm Val K. Wise pretty much everywhere. I have ValKWise.com and ValKWise on Twitter and Instagram uh, and TikTok, but I haven't really been using TikTok, so (laughs) 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 it's there if you want it. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. All right. Well, once again, uh, Val and Crystal, Crystal and Val, thank you for this so much and uh, definitely look forward to, fingers crossed, volume two. This is Angelina Singer, author of the Upper World series, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout, the best podcast for independent artists. Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Crystal and Val for joining me, and I highly recommend Cheer Up. Checking it out, I was immediately drawn in, and I think you will be too. In the meantime, you can follow this show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get to me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and find the show wherever you check out podcasts. As always, keep those ears open.